There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. This is a magnificent crowd to see on this Lord's Day morning, and I want to commend you for being here. Uh, spring revival, feels like winter revival, but we're having revival, and that's very good. And uh, I drove in last night from wild, wonderful West Virginia. Anybody here from West Virginia? I'm just curious. Hey, there are some mountaineers back there. That's good. Anybody ever been to West Virginia? How many of you know it's a state? Would you raise your hand, please? And uh, we wear shoes and have our teeth. It's amazing, you know. But uh, I am happy about being with you for the next two or three days and seeing what the Lord will do. We had a great time. In the Sunday school hour, just laying a little foundation, and some of you just joined us, and we're happy that you're here. I want you to open the Word of God with me, please, to one of the most depressing books in the Bible, all right? I want you to open it to the book of Ecclesiastes. And somebody says, well, that, that's not encouraging at all. Actually, I say it's depressing because it's written from the perspective of a man who had given his life to the wrong things, comes to the end and realizes at the end of it all that he has really made a poor investment. Uh, may I say to you, it might be good if all of us uh, now took the long look that he took at the end instead of waiting to the end to see it. Solomon is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote three books of the Bible. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was young and in love. Anybody in here still young and in love? Would you raise your hand? God bless all four of you. That's good. Lord, help us. Maybe we should change the emphasis of this meeting. Then he wrote Proverbs when he was at the height of his power, a middle-aged man full of wisdom given by God. And he wrote Ecclesiastes as an old man looking back on his life, standing on the edge of eternity, the shores of time, and realizing that so much he had given his life to meant nothing. Amazing how when you get nearer the end of a thing, some things mean less and less, and other things mean so much more. Now look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with me. If you want to mark your, your place in Ecclesiastes 3, I'll come back to it this evening. It's an amazing chapter. In fact, if you start in verse number 1, look at verse number 1. To everything there is a season. How many of you are ready for spring season to get here, Yes. We all have our favorite seasons, don't we? But life is made up of seasons, and every season gets you ready for the next one, and on and on. To everything there is a season, and would you mark this in your Bible, a time. To every purpose under the heaven. And remember, Solomon's whole perspective here is life on earth. So under heaven, that's where we live. We're on earth right now. And he begins this classic passage on time. In fact, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but look at verse 2. A time, a time, a time. Look at verse 3. A time, a time, a time, a time. And in verse 4 and verse 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, repeatedly you have this emphasis on time. We'll come back to that. And then 
at the end of this passage on time, he brings us to eternity. Look at verse number 11. He, that is God, hath made everything beautiful in, what's the next two words, church? His time. In verse number one, I had you mark a time. That's where we live. Uh, we live by clocks and calendars, don't we? I know what time it is right now. I know what time I'm supposed to be finished preaching today. How many of you are grateful to God for that? Yes. We live on time. We live on schedules. God made time. The book of Genesis. God, God made it for us, and we, we operate by it. So we live on time. But when you come to verse number 11, look at it carefully. It does not say a time. It says what? His time. Do you understand that God's time is very different than our time? The Lord sees differently than we do. He operates on a totally, a totally different schedule. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. And maybe, maybe you're thinking that God is late. I want you to know God's timetable is just different than our timetable. Maybe you think, wait a minute, this is not according to the way I planned. Well, I want you to know the God who is above all and sees all has a much better plan than any of us could. So look at verse number 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time also. Please don't miss the also. He hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I want you to take a pen out, if you will, and mark two or three things in this amazing verse. One verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. It's all about God, and specifically, it's all about eternity. I want you to mark his time, of course, because that is where time is no more, you see. It is beyond this world. Then this unusual expression, he hath set the world in their heart. Would you mark the world? What does that mean? You mean he put the whole world inside a man? What kind of world could that be? Well, obviously it's not the created world because the world we live in is much bigger than any of us. Matter of fact, the longer you live, the older you get, the bigger you realize the world is and the smaller you feel yourself. We're, we're little pipsqueaks. May I use a deep theological term? We're peons. That's what we are in the, in the scope of how vast the world is. So it can't be the created world. It certainly can't be this world system. God wouldn't put this world system in our hearts. That, that belongs to the devil. That, that is governed by sin. It is corrupt in every way. So that can't be the world that God puts in our heart. And then it can't be the world of pleasure because God tells us in Scripture we're not to live for pleasure. We're to live for His pleasure. So it can't be that world. What is the world that God puts in the heart of man? Somewhere in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write one word down, would you please? I want you to write the word eternity. Because the word world here is the same word for eternity. Think about this. God put a little bit of eternity inside every person in this room. There was a time that you were not, but there will never be another time you will not be. In fact, one million years from this moment, every person I'm looking at right now will be somewhere. That's thought-provoking to me. Really, it's mind-blowing to me. We count time and mark time by birthdays. My wife's birthday was yesterday, and we had a great time celebrating that. And we, we enjoy that, and we have anniversaries and special days that mark the passage of time. 
But I want you to understand something, that when you leave this world and time is no more, it doesn't mean you are no more because God has put a little bit of eternity inside every one of us. Now, your body's not going to last forever. How many of you have lived long enough to figure that out? Yes? Changes, doesn't it? The gray hair comes and uh, the body didn't respond like it used to. And man, things change. Don't they change? I'm going to tell you why that is. Because your body is made out of dirt. That's where God brought it from, the dust of the ground. Everybody look at your neighbor just a second, would you please? Can't look at me. Stare at the person next to you. Gaze into their lovely eyes. Somebody sat next to the wrong person. That's your fault, all right? Look at them. You are looking at a certified ball of dirt right now. That's what you're looking at. Somebody said, that's... Really helps your self-esteem, preacher, but it may be a ball of dirt with beautiful hair. It may be a ball of dirt with makeup. It may be a ball of dirt with nice Sunday clothes. But God made man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And someday, the Bible says that body is going back to the dust of the ground, and the spirit is returning to God who gave it. Please hear me with your heart. Your body is not eternal, but your spirit is because God Almighty put a little bit of his eternity inside of every one of us. And if that were not enough, look at the end of verse number 11. He says, man, can't even find out the work God is making. Look at this. From the beginning to the what? End. Let's take a little journey just for a second, all right, just for fun. Go over a few pages to your right in your Bible to Isaiah chapter number 46. Let me, let me show you something about God. See, I'm not talking to you about something this morning. I'm talking to you about someone. I'm talking to you about the everlasting God, the eternal God. Look at Isaiah 46 and verse number 9. Remember, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And I want to just pause and say, yes, Lord, I believe that. You are God, and there's no one like our God. But look at verse number 10. Declaring the end from the what? Beginning. The things that are not yet done. From ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Hold up. How can God know all the ancient things that man has forgotten and at the same time know all the things that are not yet done? I'd like to tell you how that's possible. Because God knows the end from the beginning. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18, remember the Lord Jesus showed up and John got a glimpse of him. And what did Jesus say? I am Alpha and Omega. Please don't miss this. The beginning and the end. In fact, there's a little secret. You still got your Bible open? Look at Isaiah 46 verse number 9. Would you mark I am? Remember that ancient name for God? Moses said, I didn't know your name. Pharaoh's going to ask me your name. And God said, just tell him I am. I am what? I am that I am. See, look, I have to say I am put something after it. God didn't put anything after it. He can say I am, period. Why? Because he is the self-existent, eternal, everlasting, all-sufficient God. That is who he is. But don't miss this. God doesn't live in time. Time lives in God. Now, that'll blow your mind. See, God is everlasting. He he is the eternal God. Look, Watch this. God holds time in the palm of his hand looks all of it in just one moment. 
It's how you can see the end from the beginning. He is in the beginning, and he is in the end, and he's everywhere in between. He's not I was or I will be. He is I am. He is in the everlasting now. That is who our God is. As a matter of fact, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote Deuteronomy chapter 33 that God is the eternal God. What does that mean? It means he had no beginning and he has no end. The oldest psalm in the Bible, so old that David did not write it, Moses wrote it. Psalm 90 says this, From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Do you know what the word everlasting means in the Bible? It means vanishing point. I love this thought. Moses took pen in hand and said, you can go all the way back in time to when the whole world recedes and everything you, you know in this created universe vanishes away. And when everything is gone, guess who you'll find there? God Almighty is there because he is from everlasting. And then if you fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible, to the revelation of Jesus Christ, when the world burns up and everything disappears and everybody is gone from this planet, let me tell you who's still going to be our God will still be because he is from vanishing point to vanishing point. He is the everlasting God. And when God made you, he made you in his image. And so guess what God did? God put a little eternity inside every one of you. Let me show you something really interesting. Keep turning. You still in Isaiah? Come over to Isaiah 57. Your pastor read this verse to us this morning, and I just rejoiced, thinking he had no idea what I was even preaching on today, thinking how God connects all these things. Look at Isaiah 57 and verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, what's the next word, church? Would you circle the word eternity in your Bible? Did you know this is the only time in the whole Bible where the word eternity is found? Now, that's interesting to me. The word eternal, many times. Everlasting, many times. The word eternity is only found one time in our English Bible. And it's right here in Isaiah 57 and verse number 15. And wouldn't it be just like God to use a word so rarely, so sparingly, in such a place where it connects God to men and men to God? Because that's what this verse does. Look at it. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. You say you want revival. We, we say this is a revival meeting. Well, I submit to you today, there is no reviving apart from a glimpse of eternity. There is no revival. Excuse me, but we walk on and we stumble on like drunk men in a stupor, living our lives, biding time, marking days off of a calendar until something stamps eternity on our soul and suddenly we get a glimpse of who God is. And in the light of who God is, we begin to see who we are. And in the light of who God is and who we are, we begin to understand what really matters. Some things just don't matter. And Solomon says, wait a minute, I gave my whole life to things I thought would matter. And now I stand at the end of it all and I'm here to testify. They were all vanity and they were all vexation of spirit. There's only one thing that matters and that is everything that is connected to eternity. It's an amazing verse. You see God's highness in this verse. He's the high, lofty one. You see God's holiness in this verse. His name is holy. But look at his habitation. Look where God lives. If I ask you this morning, stand and tell me. Somebody stand and tell me. Where does God live? Somebody say, he lives in heaven. And then somebody else would say, he lives in my heart. Both would be correct answers, but neither would be all sufficient. 
Our God is so great, he lives in heaven. Our God is so merciful, he lives in our hearts. But please don't miss this. Our God is so eternal, he cannot be bound by time or by space. There is no limit who God is. Would you like to know where God lives? I'm going to tell you where he lives. Based on this verse, God lives in eternity. That's where he has to live because it's the only house big enough to hold him. You ever been to the Biltmore Estate? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Largest private residence in North America, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. It is an amazing, amazing place. And uh, uh, the, the Biltmore Mansion just goes on and on and on. I remember the first time my wife and I ever meandered through those halls and through those rooms looking around. and I was just in awe of it all. And my wife said to me, I'm glad I don't have to clean this house. And I said, yeah, I'm sure that's right. But I want you to know, the biggest house you ever imagine is not as big as the house my God lives in because the God of the Bible is the God of eternity. And that God put a little bit of eternity inside of every one of us. God lives in eternity, and eternity lives in God, and now God creates man, and where does he put him? Well, he puts him in time, but he puts inside of him something that is eternal. When I finish preaching in just a few moments, I'm going to ask every person in this room to respond, everybody. And if you say, well, I'm not responding, then you've already made your decision. But I'm going to ask every man, every woman, and every young person in this room to join me in one of two prayers, and you'll know which one is the right one for you. But I'm doing it on purpose today because I understand something, that until we get a glimpse of eternity, nothing changes in time. How many of you remember Y2K? Some of you say, what's he talking about? You're young, all right? The year 2000, the whole world's going to end. Everybody remember that? Stockpile your food and get your water and all the computers are going to shut down. The whole world's going to come to a screeching halt and, you know, it's Armageddon. And then it passed without so much as a glitch, you know. It moved right on. Australia got the new millennium before we did. And on the Sydney Harbor Bridge, January the 1st, 2000, middle of the night, midnight, they flashed a word on the bridge, big laser lights. It was the word eternity. And we were still in time. We, we'd crossed into a new century, a new millennium, a new year, but eternity. I preached in Sydney, and when I was there, I asked the people, I said, I want you to explain to me, tell me a little more about this. Did you know that certain places all around Sydney, Australia, in beautiful copper plate writing on sidewalks, there is the word eternity? Interesting, isn't it? Now, I tell you, from my own experience, it is a much more secular nation than our own. We're, we're right on their heels, but it is not really known as a, a Christian nation. And people, very few people go to church, and very few people would, would even understand the gospel. And so I'm fascinated by this. You know, they're putting eternity on the bridge and eternity on the sidewalks. And where did all that come from? In the early 1900s, there was a man by the name of Arthur Stacy. He was a drunk. He came into a gospel meeting one night and heard the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. That Christ had died for his sins and rose from the dead to give him eternal life. And for the first time in his life, light entered into his dark soul. Arthur Stacy got saved. He came to a men's meeting 
he was sitting in the back of a men's meeting. Some of your men have been in a men's meeting uh, with me before, and, and I like men's meetings. I'm going to be in one next week. I like them, and just challenging men to be God's men. And Arthur is standing in the back of this men's meeting, and the preacher that was preaching that night preached from Isaiah 57, verse 15, on the word eternity, and it just like a dagger to his heart. It was like the Holy Spirit etched it on his mind, and he's standing there thinking, I wish everybody in Sydney could hear this. He stuck his hands in his pocket, and he was a tradesman, a, a worker, and in his pocket that day, he had a piece of chalk that he'd used on a job somewhere. Arthur Stacy standing there thinking, I wish everybody could think about eternity. And he felt that piece of chalk, and he walked out of the meeting that night, and he said to the Lord, Lord, what could I do to help people think about eternity? And Arthur Stacy got down on the sidewalk across the street in that men's meeting, and for the first time, a man who could barely write his own name wrote the word eternity on the sidewalk. He stood up and looked at it, and he thought, I could do that. He wasn't much of a public guy. He wasn't a preacher, but he thought, I could do that. And he started getting up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and walking all over Sydney, and he would write in chalk on sidewalks the word eternity. He became something of a, of a local folk hero. Nobody even knew who he was. The newspaper would write about him. They called him Mr. Eternity. Over the next 30 years, Arthur Stacy wrote that word early in the morning a half a million times. And he did it for one reason, to try to make people in his city realize that there is more to life than this life, that there was more to the world than this world. There was an eternity to come. Early one Sunday, or one, uh, one weekday morning, his pastor was uh, making an early hospital call and came around the corner and saw Arthur down on his knees with a piece of chalk, and he didn't know. And he said, Arthur, are you Mr. Eternity? And for the first time, it was revealed who the man was. Arthur Stacy's name is lost to history now. The tradition lives on in that part of the world. But I want you to understand that it was when this great truth of the eternal God and the eternal soul gripped this man that his life was changed forever. Robert Murray McShane said to preachers, when you preach, preach for eternity. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. I have no idea when my last message will be. This could be it. I have no idea when this world will come to an end. This could be the day. I have no idea when Christ is coming back. This could be the hour. But this one thing I know, every one of us must get ready to meet the eternal God. Go back with me to Ecclesiastes, and let me just show you a handful of truths right here in this verse. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 11. First of all, he takes us back. Because he begins this way, He hath made everything beautiful. When did that happen? Well, that happened at creation. When did God make everything beautiful? Now, God continues to make things beautiful in his time. <clears throat> we understand the application of that in our lives. God is at work in every one of our hearts and every one of our homes, and, and God's not finished with us. Anybody glad God's not given up on you yet? Yes? I'm still an ongoing construction project. The day I got saved, Jesus moved in, started the largest remodeling project in the history of the world. He's still working on me, and I'm grateful to God for that. But I want you to know, he's really taking us all the way back to the beginning of time here. When did God make everything beautiful? Read Genesis again, because once he finished making everything, the Bible says he looked on all that he'd made, and he said it is very good. I want you to only God can say that. Sin brings so much brokenness and darkness and hurt. But when God, the creator God, moves and works, what does he give? He brings beauty. He makes everything very good. So he takes us, first of all, all the way back. 
Then there's another dimension. Look at the verse again. He takes us up. Because he lifts our thoughts to God. Look what the Bible says. The end of the verse. No man can find out the work that God maketh. So above time, above what we can see, above what we can understand, above the circumstances we're stuck in. See, I'm stuck in time. I'm stuck where I live. I can only see where I am. I can only know where I've been. I have no idea where I'm going. I can only see the, the, the scheme around me at this particular time. And let's just get real for a minute. All of us get a little annoyed at what's going on in our world, don't we? You watch the news and get pretty aggravated. I just want to remind you of something. God is where God has always been. He is seated on the throne of eternity. He has time in the palm of his hand. Our God still has everything under control. And every now and then it might be good for us to get our heads up and remember that God is above all and God is still at work in the midst of it all. And so God takes us back to creation, takes us up to heaven. Then he takes us forward to the end. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I'd like you to use a little sanctified imagination for just a moment, would you please? I'd like you to imagine that at noon you're going to meet God today. At noon. Now by noon I'll, I'll wrap it up and we'll be done and We'll be on our way here shortly, but I want you to imagine at noon, it won't be my final amen. At noon, you will see Jesus face to face. He's an old preacher. That's not going to happen. No, you're right. It could be sooner than that. But I'd like you just to imagine for a moment, you got 10 minutes. That's what you got right now to get ready for eternity. Anything you'd want to take care of. Anything you wouldn't want to meet God with at the judgment seat 10 minutes from now. Anything you don't want to make right? Anything you don't want to settle in your heart? Spurgeon said that the way to make most, most of your life is meditate on your death. He meant by that, if you fast forward to the end, find out what really matters there, and then work back from there, it puts everything else in its proper perspective. Because, listen to me, please, there is an end coming. And I'm not trying to be more, but I'm just telling you the truth. The reality is not a single one of us knows when or where that day is going to be or how it's going to happen. But I'm telling you one thing I know of every one of us. Every one of us are going to meet God. And when you come to the end, what will matter then? What will not matter? I'm thinking now about my life. I'm going to talk to you more about this this evening. But, you know, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. It's funny how when you're young, you wish days away. Don't you do that? And you wish years away, and you want to get a little older, and you get your driver's license, and you get out of high school, and you want to get in college, you want to get married, you want to have kids, and then one day you wake up, and you want to slow the thing down a little bit. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, like a runaway train, it picks up sp speed as it moves forward. Do you know what it's plunging towards? It's headed headlong into an encounter with God. So he takes us back to creation, up to heaven, forward to the judgment. And here's why he does it. He takes us then within. Isn't this fascinating? How something so big as eternity could become so personal and real to every one of us. Look back at verse number 11. What's he doing? He's bringing us back to where we live. Also, he has set the world in their hearts. He's saying, look, people, 
let this affect where you are now. In light of eternity, what needs to change? In light of eternity, what should you confess? In light of eternity, what do you believe? In light of eternity, what should you yield? In light of eternity, what should you do? In light of eternity, what should change? See, the God of the Bible is a God who is working for time and for eternity. Let me illustrate just a second. Do you see this little dot right here? Everybody look here just a moment. See this little dot right here? That's your birth. And this little line right here, that's your life. And this dot right here, that's your death. Let's review class. All right, here's your birth. Here's your life. Here's your death. You say, well, that's not long enough, preacher. It's what the Bible says you get, hand breadth. So look, here is your birth. Here's your life. Here's your death. And here, here's eternity. How far would you like for me to go? Look, if I ran around your auditorium a hundred times, it might be fun to watch, but it would still be an imperfect illustration. Do you know why that is? Because there is no end to eternity. But wait a minute. If that's true, could I ask you something? Why do we spend so much of our life and resources and energy and effort and worry on this and give so little thought to this? When I'm done preaching this morning, there's only one word I want you to remember. Would you like to guess what the word is? Eternity. And I'm praying somehow the Holy Spirit of God will etch it on your soul and the word of God will ring in your ears. Dear Lord, give us a fresh glimpse of eternity. I'll tell you when people get saved, when they get a glimpse of eternity. I'll tell you when prodigals come home and backslidden Christians get thoroughly right with God when they get a glimpse of eternity. I'll tell you. I'll tell you when people get awakened to win souls and reach their family and witness to their neighbors. I'll tell you when they get a glimpse of eternity, when they're reminded this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. This is not all there is, people. Matter of fact, the last verse of Ecclesiastes, we'll come to it later this week, brings us all the way to the judgment to the day that God will judge everything we did or did not do in time. And I don't know about you, that is sobering to me. I have an eternal soul made in the image of an eternal God. And the only thing that matters is eternity. There's probably somebody in this room today that's not sure they're saved in a crowd this size. Somebody listening, maybe even online, not sure they're saved. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in John 17. He said, this is life eternal, that you should know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. You want to know what it is to have eternal life? It's just knowing God. And you know how you know God? Through Jesus. Knowing that your sins have been forgiven. Knowing that you put your faith in him. I'm not talking about getting baptized, joining the church and checking off religious boxes and being a better man or woman, trying harder. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when you come to rest your eternity on Jesus, Christ at that moment gives you eternal life, everlasting life, and you never perish. What a, what a great gift eternal life is. And then once you have it, the only thing that matters is that you live for what matters for eternity. 
And I'm looking at a whole bunch of Christians today. There's no doubt in my mind. Probably a lot of faithful church members here every Sunday. And God bless you. I'm glad. But may I ask you something? In the last week, how much of your life actually connected to eternity? How much of your life this past week was invested in what will matter a thousand years from today? Because we sure do live for a whole lot of junk that isn't going to last. A bigger house and a newer car and nicer clothes and more money in the bank and another week's vacation. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I just want to tell you, someday all that is going to fade away and you're going to stand before an eternal God with nothing but your eternal soul. And on that day, the only thing that's going to matter is that which matters for eternity. God put that in you. Thomas Chalmers became quite a preacher in his day, mightily used of God. When he was an old man, he came into a meeting one day. He was not speaking. He was just there to attend, but he was very well respected. He was a minister that people just looked at and thought, now that's a godly man. That's a man who knows God. Middle of the meeting, a fellow that no one really knew had come in the back, and a man stood up and interrupted the service. If you've ever been in a meeting where that happens, everybody kind of cringes, you know, and gets really nervous. And a guy stood up, and he took out a piece of paper, and he said, I'd like to read something. And he started reading some of the most ungodly, blasphemous things you've ever heard in your life. When he finished, and everybody was sitting there with their mouths hanging open, when he was finished, he pointed to Thomas Chalmers, and he said, the words I've just read, your respected minister Thomas Chalmers wrote. Now everybody's doubly dumbfounded. All eyes were on Dr. Chalmers and he struggled to his feet, an old man weeping, tears streaming down his face. And he said, it's true. It's true. He said, everything that man read, I wrote every word. He said, it was many years ago when I wrote those words. And when I wrote those words, at that moment in my life, there were two things I had not considered. I had not considered the littleness of time. And I had not considered the greatness of eternity. You know what I think? I think most of us in this room, including the man speaking to you right now, might all just hit the pause button on life. Time out on time for a second. And consider the littleness of time and the greatness of eternity. Because in the end, it's the only thing that matters. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.